Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and you're listening to the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. Kingdom Ethics is a production of us, with the closure of the Center for Theology and Public Life at the end of the fall school year of 2021. The Kingdom Ethics Podcast is now a labor of love from Dr. David Gushy and myself, and we are really excited to see where this will go, what this will be next, and uh, are glad that you are along for the ride. This episode will be a continuation of our bonus season as we continue to share clips, thoughts, snippets, sections, passages from David's new uh, forthcoming book, Last Lectures, an intro class, seminary level intro class, into the study of Christian ethics where he's talking about methodology, best practices, and then issues. Today's episode sort of lies somewhere in the middle. This 10-minute clip that we're going to share with you today comes from David's chapter on forgiveness as a Christian ethical norm. Really cool stuff. Really a deep dive into... This thing that we talk about all the time. We we love the word forgiveness. We love the idea of forgiveness. We love the reality of having been forgiven. But what is the Christian moral responsibility to forgive? And what do we mean when we say it? And what does it look like when we do it? So, I hope you enjoy this clip from Dr. Gushy's lecture on forgiveness. We're glad you're here. This is Kingdom Ethics. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's Matthew 6, 12, and verses 14 and 15. 12.1 Introduction Forgiveness is one of the most profound examples of a biblical concept that, even in secular societies, also retains currency in everyday life. Like love, and unlike, say, pneumatology, theology of the Holy Spirit, You can stop people on the street, ask them what they think about forgiveness, and have an intelligent conversation. That's because most people have some concept of forgiveness and some experience of it, and of its painful absence. This is one reason why forgiveness is a quite important term to consider, not just in internal Christian ethics conversations, but also when we turn outward to engage the public. It is one place where Christian ethics and general human ethics intersect. It is also a place where the gospel meets the world. Once we begin to dig into it, we quickly discover that the issue of forgiveness is theoretically and theologically complicated. There is no consensus on its definition or much else about it other than that we need it to make human life bearable. The challenge of forgiveness is a great leveler. Whether one is good at forgiving has nothing to do with education or any other worldly status marker. It does not matter how many degrees you have or how many books you have read or written. Forgiveness is about doing something both really hard and really liberating that Jesus commands us to do. 
I offer these reflections as a person who knows both the deep relief of forgiveness and the deep sorrow of unforgiveness. 12.2, the etymology of the English word forgiveness. The English word forgiveness stems from an old English term, forgifan. This word is traceable to the German vergeben and Dutch vergeven. The etymology of these words moves in this direction, to give, grant, allow, remit, pardon. For, as a prefix, means completely. In its origins, then, it seems that the English word forgiveness is about giving up something and giving it up completely. Open a standard English dictionary today, and the word forgiveness is defined as follows. This is from the New Oxford American Dictionary. A. Stop feeling angry with someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. B. Cancel a debt. Notice that the stop feeling angry dimension of forgiveness is listed first in this modern dictionary, but it is not a feature of the term's etymology, which has nothing to do with feelings. This definition shows that calming angry feelings is often central to what we think forgiveness means today. If so, the meaning of the term has migrated quite a bit from where it started. This may contribute to our many contemporary confusions about it. Maybe forgiveness isn't about our feelings, which are hard to control, and instead about our actions, which we can control. Debt cancellation. The second definition above is about action and it does connect to the original etymology. A forgiver is one who chooses to take the action of debt cancellation, in this case, moral debt cancellation. She has been wronged and is owed something, but she cancels the debt and does so completely. This leads to my working definition. Forgiveness is an act in which we completely give up any claim on one who has wronged us to pay the moral debt they have incurred. Whether forgiveness also should be defined to include giving up feeling angry at someone because of the wrong they have done to us will be considered a bit later. The etymology may take us about this far, but this is just the beginning of our exploration. 12.3 Core Biblical Terms for Forgiveness Let us now turn to the rich biblical vocabulary associated with forgiveness. Biblical Hebrew has two primary terms sometimes translated as forgiveness, Salak means to forgive or pardon, but Old Testament scholars say that it always refers to divine forgiveness of human beings. Nasa means to bear, lift, carry, take, or take away. It is a common verb that can include the meaning of forgiving or pardoning. In New Testament Greek, three primary words are translated as forgive in English. Charizomai, from charis, or grace, means to bestow a favor, grace, kindness, or benevolence, which can take the form of granting forgiveness or pardon. Afimai means to send away or let go, and thus can cover forgiveness as sending away or letting go of debts and sins. Apaluo means to release, dismiss, or set free. It sometimes is best translated as forgive or pardon. These terms taken together speak to various issues that must be accounted for in a sound account of forgiveness. It begins with the fact that human beings can and sometimes do behave wrongly toward God and neighbor. When we are harmed by the offenses of others, we experience a compelling sense that the other has incurred a kind of moral debt to us. This debt must be addressed through some kind of payment or through forgiveness. 12.4 Important New Testament Texts The New Testament contains numerous interesting texts on forgiveness, 
Let's look at five especially important ones. Matthew 6, 12-15, cited at the opening of this chapter, establishes a striking linkage between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. In this text, Jesus makes the former conditional upon the latter. If we do not forgive others, God will not forgive us. If we are honest, this teaching should terrify most of us, to the extent we are holding back and forgiving others. Matthew 18, 21-35 begins with Peter asking Jesus how many times we are obligated to forgive a brother. Could it be as many as seven times? Jesus says it's more like 77 times, or perhaps 490 times. Peter's jaw must have dropped. Jesus follows with the famous parable of the unforgiving servant. The key teaching is that we must have mercy on others as our master has had mercy on us. The teaching ends with another stern warning of punishment if we do not forgive. But at this point, this is a reinforcement of the more positive teaching that the posture of forgiven sinners such as ourselves should be profound gratitude that yields mercy to others. Luke 17, 3-4 parallels this teaching in Matthew 18, but it also contains a crucial difference. Jesus says, If another disciple sins, or a brother sins, you must rebuke the offender, and if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day, and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. Here, unlike in Matthew, sin in the community is dealt with by a rebuke, repent, forgive paradigm. Not just by simple forgiveness. No limit is set on the number of times a believer must forgive another. But in each case, repentance is required. This feels like an amendment of the more unconditional teaching offered in Matthew 18. In any case, it reflects one of the most profound tensions in relation to forgiveness. Must we, how can we, forgive those who are not sorry? Luke 23:34 contains that simple but unforgettable line from Jesus while on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Notably, Jesus asks God to forgive those crucifying him, even though the crucifiers do not repent. Though this sentence is not included in all New Testament manuscripts of the Gospel of Luke, and it is found only in Luke, it has been deeply influential in Christian thought. In fact, it is fair to say that these two texts from Luke helped to create a permanent tension in Christianity related to the issue of a necessary link between repentance and forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. This text prescribes forgiveness as an aspect of Christian ethics in community, making the by now familiar move of motivating our forgiveness by God's forgiveness of us. This text teaches a Christian virtue that could be called being forgiving, having a readiness to forgive. Theologian Greg Jones is right in emphasizing that the New Testament teaches a communal ethic of what he calls embodying forgiveness, the title of his classic 1995 book on the subject. Forgiveness becomes more than a principle or practice here, it becomes part of the ethos of the church. Hey, Jeremy again. Thanks for listening. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Uh, Maybe you're driving, maybe you're sitting in your office, uh, maybe you're mowing the lawn. That's when I get most of my podcast consumption in. But we, we want to take a moment to remind you Uh, to make sure that you're subscribed, that you've liked us, that you've followed us, uh, that you've left a five-star review. Those three things go 
tremendous distances in helping us reach a wider audience. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Both David and I are accessible. We're available. We try to answer emails and social media and stuff as quickly as possible. You can find both of us on Twitter or Facebook, and uh, you can learn more about our individual ministries and work at our respective personal websites. That's davidpgushy.com and revjeremyhall.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon. This has been Kingdom Ethics.